0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, the Package Tourist, and the Magical Mystery Tour called Life. Matthew Debiaz. Tonight, I will be interviewing author and Civil War historian Wit McCuskey. Wit was born and raised, and still resides in the Show Me State. He was a graduate of the Virginia Military Institute and spent 28 years in the Army and U.S. Army Reserves. In addition to being a banker, Mr. McCoskree has taught ROTC programs at the Universities of Missouri and Illinois State. He has been a lifelong devotee of Civil War history, a passion I share as well. Today, Whit McCoskrey serves as a tour guide at the National Churchill Museum in Fulton, Missouri. Whit, when did you first contemplate a writing career?
1: Uh, well, I don't know if I ever really did, <laughs> but uh, it was. A, um, he was a good friend of mine, well, he's a co-author on the first book, owned a you know, bookstore, and he wanted to do some kind of history on Missouri, and he kept asking me about that. And I finally said, well, there really is no book that covers all the battles that went on in Missouri. So that started about five years ago. It took us about two years to do that project.
0: Who were your favorite authors when you were growing up, and did any influence your own personal writing style? Wit. Uh,
1: Well, if you want to talk about history writers, there's a lot of good ones. Uh, John Keegan, uh, I've always liked him. Oh, you know, there's some other good ones. Atkinson, Civil authors, McPherson uh, is a good one. Catton, obviously, Bars. Those are all good names. Uh, in the Missouri, in the state of Missouri, a professor uh, of history named Louis Gertheis is probably one of the more well-recognized ones.
0: Okay. Wit, please tell our audience about your impending release, The War for Missouri. Well, that's the second book. And it was
1: really an idea from a friend of mine who was the editor and founder of a history magazine called Armchair Generals, His name was Jerry Morlock, and he kind of helped me a little bit with the first book, give me some ideas about things I should cover in an organization, and he said, you know, there's never really book written on, really just the first two years, um, emphasizing the key turning points in Missouri and the Trans-Mississippi region in the West.
0: Okay. Now, at the beginning, okay, Missouri uh, was divided between pro-union and pro-secessionist elements. What parts of Missouri were pro-union sectors of the state, and what parts of Missouri were secessionist areas of the state?
1: Yeah, I don't know if you can really kind of tweak it that uh, close. I would say uh, the rural areas tended to be more uh, Pro-Southern because that's where most of the slave population uh, was. The only major city was St. Louis, and it was it had a strong German ethnic group that was a very uh, uh, pro-Union, uh, anti-secessionist. So I would say that's kind of the state was basically <laughs> pro-Southern from an economic state's rights standpoint, but they had no desire to secede from the union.
0: Did the state legislature ever formally vote up or down on an ordinance of secession? Did that ever take place like the other Southern states did?
1: Uh, yes, I did. It was a, uh, they had a special legislative session in late February, early March. Uh, Claiborne Jackson just been voted in as the governor who was, who was, very pro secessionist governor um, uh, called this session and he basically had a resounding defeat 98 to 1 to stay in the Union.
0: Wow. Tell us about the Battle of Wilson's Creek because that was wasn't that the first very big battle in the state of Missouri? Yeah,
1: it was really the first big battle west of the Mississippi River. Wow. Well, um, it was really the first kind of large scale meeting between. The Missouri State Guard uh, and their Confederate allies against the federal uh, and militia forces um, of um, the Union and it occurred down in southwest Missouri, uh, a little bit southwest of Springfield, in about August, about two, three weeks right after First Bull Run. And uh, it, was a, it was a major engagement. Uh, you had about 12,000 Confederate and Missouri State Guard uh, forces facing about an army half their size, commanded by General Nathaniel Lyon. Okay. And he, he was the kind of head commander in the uh, West under the commander of the Department of the West, who was John Fremont.
0: Okay, tell me about General Nathaniel Lyon. Was he a regular career army officer, or was he more like a like a political one of those political volunteer generals? Uh, was can you tell us about him a little bit?
1: Yeah, he, he was a regular career officer. Uh, served gallantry, uh, gallantry, gallantry in uh, the Mexican American War. Uh, he um, uh, really was a a uh, Commander, uh, and you know, like most of them served out west, he followed the, uh, the what was going on in the Kansas, Missouri area, as far as particularly as Kansas is becoming a state. He was a strong, uh, pro union, uh, anti slavery uh, type. And so he volunteered to come serve in St. Louis helped uh, guard the federal arsenal in St. Louis, and when he arrived, he immediately made contact with the strong pro-Union Republicans in St. Louis.
0: Okay. Now, he, of course, he's famous for he got shot and killed in the battle. When, when he, was he shot early in the battle? Was it at the battle's end? How did he get shot?
1: Yeah, so the, the Wilson's Creek, although the unit forces were outnumbered, they thought they could execute a early morning surprise attack on the Confederate Missouri State Guard forces who had camped the night along at Wilson's Creek. And they did execute a very effective surprise attack. Uh, he was, uh, command of the main body from the north. The, there was a smaller force coming up from the south and the, Uh, but the main fighting occurred along a particular geographic location called Bloody Hill, and on one of the Union counterattacks, about the third or fourth counterattacks, uh, he led the forces himself and was killed as he was riding his horse into the battle.
0: What was the largest Civil War battle fought in Missouri in terms of scale, numbers of men involved, etc.? What was the largest battle? Uh, in Missouri.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if you can really nail it down to a large battle. I would say the um, besides the Wilson's Creek, the siege of Lexington was sizable. There were about 3,000 Union forces defending against about 18,000 Missouri State Guard uh, for about eight days. Uh, You had right on the border, just in Arkansas, you had really a major battle in early 1862 at Pea Ridge. There's probably about um, 15,000, 20,000 troops in that one. And then you had um, um, a major battle there on Mississippi River called Island Number 10. Oh, yeah. And uh, um, while there weren't a lot of forces engaged in that, the capture of Island Number 10 yielded about 5,000 Confederate prisoners to the Union Army.
0: Yeah, and didn't it also contribute to the Union extending its control of the Mississippi River? Didn't didn't that help too? Yeah, that's correct. It was an important
1: uh, strategic location to uh, grab control of. It and um, then gave them a a position upon which they could move further down Mississippi River and take the key naval port or key river port of Memphis, and then eventually uh, Vicksburg.
0: In your account of the Battle of Belmont, you talk about a certain Union general who went on to enormous fame and glory who fought in that battle. He commanded the Union forces in that battle. Would you please uh, share with the, our audience who that famous general was?
1: Well, that was really uh, Ulysses Grant. Uh, he had been, um, uh, he served in Missouri for about six months. And Belmont was kind of his crowning achievement uh, that he uh, commanded at. He was, Fremont had put him in charge of the Union forces in southeastern Missouri. He had moved his headquarters to Cairo, Illinois, there along the Ohio-Mississippi River Junction. And from that location, he took it upon himself to take about three or 4,000 men, uh, down the Mississippi River and launch a surprise attack on a Confederate camp located on the Missouri side at a place called Belmont. Okay. And it was about a 20, 25 mile journey down the river, very hazardous. Um, he offloaded uh, just a little bit north of there, moved his forces in from the, um, the west and attacked a, a fairly sizable uh, contingent of Confederate soldiers there at Belmont uh, and successfully um, uh, occupied the camp, pushed the forces off towards the riverbank, and uh, the, basically the battle ended up they had to withdraw because the Confederate commander, uh, Columbus, Kentucky, across the river, launched a counterattack of several thousand Confederate soldiers, and Grant had kind of uh, was at a point where he could no longer defend against that sizable force. And then he basically off unloaded his forces onto the ferries they came down with and went back up the river.
0: Now when you talk about that battle, you go into there are these beautiful passages, which I really like when reading your book, that particular chapter you show you demonstrate that Grant was showing those qualities that later made him the great Supreme commander that he was. Can you share with the audience what those qualities were that he showed in that battle that later gave a foreshadowing of his future military genius?
1: Yeah, he had, um, uh, you know, he he served bravely in the uh, war with Mexico Uh, was recognized for his leadership and some hair, some kind of harrowing moments. Um, He's, his career in peacetime in the Union Army had not been as smooth. He eventually um, resigned and went back to St. Louis to, to live with his family and try to carve out a living. And But all that time, uh, he had never been very successful at that. But when the war came along, he was immediately recognized by the governor of Illinois as someone who could help organize forces in Illinois for the war effort. So he first commanded a regiment from Illinois there in south in northeastern Missouri, kind of do a runaround chasing bushwhackers and and, um, and a few kind of rebel uh, outlaws. He then was given command of uh, the fortifications at Jefferson City, Ironson, Missouri, and then finally uh, the southwestern Missouri. But you can tell from his writings, his particularly his autobiography, his memoirs, that he did a lot of thinking about offensive operations, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Understanding what the army that he was going to pose was trying to do and how could he best maneuver upon them. So you could see an offensive kind of strategic thinking in his early memoirs. And the Belmont operation was really of his own uh, design, design, uh, he had not been given very clear instructions from Fremont, and so he took it upon himself to kind of find out what the intentions were of General Polk and the Confederate forces there along the uh, fortresses in the Mississippi River. And so you could see this kind of, of ability to take it upon himself to show the initiative uh, to undertake an offensive operation and and basically take the battle to the Confederate forces.
0: How intense was the guerrilla fighting in Missouri?
1: Well, um, it was always pretty intense, but by 1863, when pretty much the bulk of the uh, forces that were operating for the Missouri State Guard and Confederates were guerrilla forces, was pretty much when it was at its uh, most ominous. And of course, you had the Lawrence Massacre. In August of 1863, um, winter time they would go down south to kind of rest up, and then they would come back up the spring and regain, re take on their raids and guerrilla operations. But by by the middle of 1864, was kind of in that pinnacle of really the most the greatest depredations by guerrilla forces and the Union forces as well.
0: Okay. how is William Quantrill portrayed in this book? Was he a true fighter like John Mosby was in Virginia or was he more of an outlaw and a murderer? How, what, how did you interpret him?
1: Oh gosh. Um, I, I, I don't spend a lot of time in the second book on him, but the first book I, uh, I do talk about the Lawrence massacre. He, he was really kind of an educated guy he was a school teacher. Um, kind of an opportunist when you think about it, because he would often operate for, you know, anybody that would kind of employ him. But I would say that he probably, by 63, he was the most recognized guerrilla leader, most respected, and he collected an enclave of some pretty ruthless characters around him, like Anderson, Thrillkill, George Todd, uh, Archie Clemens, and they came a pretty bloodthirsty group. Um, that uh, you know, he he tried to control most of the time, but I'm I'm sure they uh, ventured off uh, whenever they wanted to to do some raiding on their own. and really, really, really kind of go hand in hand. By the way,
0: okay. I mean, didn't Jesse and Frank James uh, ride with Quantrill, And Also, didn't Cole Younger did too? Didn't they?
1: They did. Yeah, they did. well, they started with Anderson, I believe, and then they joined up with uh, Quantrill about the time Lawrence Massacre. Uh, Frank James and Cole Younger were believe at, at uh, Lawrence. Jesse, who was younger, didn't really come along until um, 1864 when they were raiding up in northern Missouri.
0: Okay. Now, earlier in our interview, you talked about uh, John Fremont. Is that the same John Fremont, the old pathfinder who... Uh, was in California during the Mexican War. Is that the same person?
1: That is he. John Fremont. Yeah, married uh, to Thomas Hart, Benton's daughter, Jessie. Um, uh, Benton was kind of a, a big champion of his, got him some opportunities to conduct these big explorations in the Rocky Mountains. Um, and, and he was really very well respected. That's kind of how he got the labeled a pathfinder. This kind of led to him getting involved in the early statehood of California. He became quite wealthy, owning land during the gold rush, um, and then kind of parlayed that into a brief political career when he ran. He was the first Republican candidate for president in um, 18. Fifty six, I believe.
0: Yes, yes. Tell me now. In the early stages of the war, isn't it true that Fremont kind of uh, was at odds with President Lincoln about you know was it emancip was it slave emancipation of slaves or something like that? Wasn't there a conflict that led to his relief? Can you tell us about that a wit? Yeah,
1: that was one of the more con- um, uh, kind of contentious issues. He can, really the emancipation proclamation um, the, the early the early laws to kind of uh, take action against the Union disloyalty um, he uh, it was a big problem in Missouri and so he very early in the war in August uh, basically issued his own Emancipation Proclamation that would anybody that was disloyal he gave the authority to Union um Union uh, authorities to basically take away any of their property, uh, their guns, and uh, their slaves. So that, that was considerably a considerable problem for Lincoln. It uh, went against the directions of Congress at that point in time, and so Fremont um, uh, sent his wife, Jessie, to Washington, D.C. to educate Lincoln on the wisdom of his decision, and that really kind of put Lincoln on the path to eventually relieving him in early November, uh, more for, I think, incompetence as a commander than they did for that, but that kind of was, was a thing that Lincoln uh, was the most disturbed about, particularly because he heard through the news of this proclamation. He never heard it from Fremont directly.
0: Wit, tell us about your military career. Now, you served 28 years in the Army. Where were you stationed uh, for, for the most part, Witt? Uh,
1: well, in, in 74, kind of towards the end of the Vietnam War, um, we were some of the last lieutenants not to get sent over to Vietnam. Um, and so my I, as, a, as an infantry officer, I did the usual airborne ranger schools. Uh, Ooh, wow. And then I went on to uh, uh, to be stationed with the First Infantry Division in Fort Riley, Kansas. Wow! Uh, commanded a rifle platoon, scout platoon, weapons platoon, and then we were part of a group that was sent over to Germany in '76 when they were beefing up forces to confront the large Russian uh, forces on the uh, along the uh, Iron Curtain. Wow! Uh, German border there. And my, my last active duty career was in Korea. I uh, spent about a year in the Republic of Korea. And then I, I, I uh, got off active duty after my fourth year and then spent about 24 years in reserves, at various units. Uh, you know, spent about eight years in a special forces unit. Um, and then my last do- tour was as an instructor at uh, Leavenworth.
0: What was your highest rank, Witt? No, uh, lieutenant colonel. Wow! Wow! Congratulations. Um, let's see. Uh, when will the the book, "The War for Missouri," be officially released, Mr. McCoskey? Um They are my publisher, History Press, is telling me July. Okay. Now, do you have any idea what what your next book project will be? You know, what subject matter? Uh, do you have any ideas that you can tell us?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, I've always thought about trying to do something kind of a survey on kind of the, the guerrilla warfare part. Mm. but they, There's so many really good subjects, uh, uh, leaders that really aren't household names, but really had remarkably spectacular careers in the Civil War, like John Schofield, Peter Osterhaus, uh, the Jefferson Davis was a Union general. Yeah, uh, named Davis. intelligence officer wow. during campaigns era. there so there's so many you could kind of talk about Grant's been getting a lot of press lately so I'll probably
0: pass on him yep well you know and hey you know starting next year is the you know 160th anniversary of the civil war so when I would love to have you on talking about you know some notable battles in Missouri and also when your next book comes out I'd love to have you on again uh, it was a real great pleasure talking to you okay Well, man, my pleasure. Thanks for for doing this. Um, Good luck to you. You you take care. Now, Whit, you take care and you be safe. And I'd like to just wish you uh, just you take care. okay, Whit? Okay. All right. You too. Thank you very much. bye Bye, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for next week's show where I will be interviewing Vietnam War veteran Marty Rose about his tour of duty in Vietnam. And we will also discuss the 50th anniversary of the shootings at Kent State University. Thank you and good night.